Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church around the world. And just want to emphasize what we've already heard is that the persecution of our brothers and sisters is a reality today. It may not be your reality. It may be your reality. It may be your experience, your past. But it's true for so many of our brothers and sisters around the world today. In fact, some would say Christians are the most persecuted people group on the planet. And so as we look in a moment, if, as the slides come up of the map of the world of those, who, of those who are persecuted, and we see the 50 most, most dangerous places to be a follower of Jesus, you'll see that most of those are in Asia. They're in, they're in the Middle East. They're in different parts of Africa. And many of these in countries like North Korea and Afghanistan, Somalia, India, Iran, have extreme persecution for their faith. And some of the realities that we may not be aware of, be aware of that are happening right now are, are this, and I'll just simply uh, share these as we look at them on the screen. That every day, one in 12 Christians experiences persecution, very, whether it be extreme, or very high, or high persecution. Every month, 66 church buildings, just like this church building, that's like two a day, or attacked, burned, or vandalized. Every day, six Christian women are raped, sexually harassed, or forced into marriage. That could be you. That could be my mother. That could be my wife. That could be my sister, our sisters. Every month, 2,800 Christians are forced to leave their home because they believe in Jesus. And last year, 2019, on average, 10 Christians were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned every single day. On average, eight Christians died every day for their faith. That's one every three hours. So from the time we started, somebody was, went to be with the Lord because of their faith. Three hours later, it will happen again on average. That's what happened last year. And today, as Pastor Sam has already shared, some 260 million Christians are suffering in some form or fashion because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's been estimated that since Jesus died on the cross, since he was followed by Stephen and James and Peter and Paul and countless others, there have been 43 million Christians who have been martyred. And while these truths may not be pleasant for us to consider, they're realities. And I'm so glad we, at least for one day, for part of today, just one day, that we're going to pray and we have prayed and we will continue to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Because persecution is a reality and it's also to be expected. And that would be our next truth I want to share. It's not a surprise. It's not a surprise. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 20, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus is the master. We are the servants. They did persecute him. And he said, they'll do the same to you. It's not a surprise. And Jesus is not saying that we go out and seek to be persecuted. No one in the videos you saw, no one who's suffering for Christ right now says, I'm looking to be persecuted. No, but it's in the daily living out of their faith that they are persecuted. 
It's when they obey Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all peoples that they're being persecuted. It's when they open their mouths and say, Jesus is the only way to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way. And when they share that with their family who may not believe, with their friends, with their coworkers, with their neighbors, Jesus said, when you do that, you will be persecuted. And then when some of those you share with become followers of Jesus and they are baptized, when you help them to be baptized, there will become persecution. And then as you continue to carry out the command, the mission of the church, the Great Commission, when you share the gospel, when you baptize those who believe, and then when you teach those who believe to obey everything Jesus has taught, Jesus said, then you will indeed experience persecution. That many might say, I'm a Christian, I'm a committed follower of Jesus, and I've never been persecuted. I don't experience that persecution. Well, it's true that many in diff different parts of the world might say that. Perhaps you, perhaps me. But is that the norm? Is that regular? Is that what Jesus said would be the experience for his followers? Is that true according to what the Bible says, to what Jesus says? Is that a true according to our history as a church of followers of Jesus Christ? It's possible. I'm not saying it's necessary, but it's possible that those of us who are not experienced persecution may not consistently be opening our mouths and telling others the good news of Jesus. It's possible that those of us who say, I've never been persecuted, it's possible that perhaps we are not seeking to live a godly life and to obey Jesus and all that he says day by day. It's possible that if we just keep our mouths shut, there's no persecution. Isn't that true? That so often those of our brothers and sisters who are, who are under heavy persecution, they're told, recant. Say you don't know Jesus or stop telling others about Jesus. And so if we just keep our mouths shut, maybe nothing will happen to us. Jesus said persecution is to be expected. They persecuted him, he said. They'll persecute you. In Matthew 24, verse 9, he says, They will hand you over for persecution, and they will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. That's very clear, and I believe the application extends even to us today. Jesus taught his followers about persecution. Peter also did the verses that Pastor Sam already shared. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 he says, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You see, I think that's our first tendency whenever we experience any form of persecution, opposition, or even mild insults because we are true followers of Jesus, our first reaction may be, what's wrong? What's happening? What did, I, what did I do to deserve this? But Jesus and Peter say, that's not strange. It's normal. You should expect it. Paul also said this when he wrote to Timothy, these words shortly before Paul himself would meet his martyr's death. He said all, 2 Timothy 3, 12, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus 
will be persecuted. It's to be expected. And also, it's part of our calling. As we continue to look at the scriptures here, before I share more about China, I want us to look a little bit, as we're doing now, as what does God say about suffering and persecution? It's not only a reality. It's not only to be expected, to be anticipated, but also it is part of our calling as followers of Jesus. Peter wrote these words, For to this you have been called, 1 Peter chapter 2, 21. To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. The steps of suffering for doing God's will, for doing what's right. Jesus never preached a prosperity gospel that focused on receiving material blessings only in this world. He didn't teach that following him would give you an easy life, a healthy life, no illness, a a life with no challenges, no problems, no risks, no threats, a life with material blessings but no sacrifice involved. He never taught that. And if you hear that preached or proclaimed, you can know that's not from the heart of our Lord and Savior. Instead, Jesus preached the kind of self-denying commitment that we need so much today. The commitment that says, I will suffer no matter what the cost for obeying my Lord Jesus Christ. It's part of our calling. Paul also confirmed this truth. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, just listen. He says, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. I hope that every one of you in this room and in the other rooms and those watching online, I hope every one of you has already believed in Jesus. You already have repented of your sin. You've trusted in him. And you know the benefits, the wonderful things that are ours because we believed in him. And I love to share and to preach these truths, how our sins are forgiven, how we're we're reconciled to God, how we are put into God's family, how our eternity forever and ever is secure because by God's grace, he helped us to believe in him. But Paul says it's been granted to you for the sake of Jesus, not only to believe in him, but also to to suffer for his sake is part of our calling. You see, it's also part of the cost of following Jesus. It's part of a cost. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's a cost to following Jesus. Often we don't hear that. We hear all the very positive and encouraging things about following Jesus. But Jesus was very clear in telling us what it took to follow him. Just listen as I read Luke chapter 14, verses 26 and 27 and 33. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children. This is my wife right here. I love her. 
But Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Strong words. Matthew 10, 37 to 39. Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me. That's what he meant in the verses we just read. To hate your father, mother, or other family members means to love them more than Jesus. Whoever loves father or mother more than me, Jesus said, is not worthy of me. And whoever does loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And then he says these words that we have to think about sometimes to see if they make any sense. He says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is saying that we find true life in following him. There is a cost to following him. But there's also a blessedness, a special fellowship and relationship with God that can only be experienced by those who have suffered for his sake. Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12. Pastor Sam read these earlier at the beginning of our, our, our time together. I want to share them again, the words of our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted, and not just persecuted, but persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. You're blessed when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said to be persecuted for him. It's blessed. It's, it's, it's true joy. There's nothing like it. And he says, rejoice, because you're not the only one. Many others long before you have been persecuted for following the true God. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4, 13 and 14. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you also may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, have you ever been insulted for the name of Christ? Just a mild insult because you're a follower of Jesus. Peter says you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And Paul had this same, same experience. Paul, the apostle Paul, who suffered so much for following Jesus. He says, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. There's a blessedness in being persecuted for Jesus' sake. And there's also a purpose. There's also a purpose in it. I know that when we're ever insulted or if we 
go through severe persecution, a common reaction is this, to wonder, is there any good coming out of this? Why? Why me, Lord? Why my father, my mother, my sister, my brother? Why are they suffering? They're following you. They're doing your will. But there's purpose. God has his purpose. Excuse me. Our God has his purpose in all things. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. He died for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. That's the gospel. That's why Jesus died. His death, his horrific death on the cross and all he suffered and endured on the way to the cross had a purpose. That's why Jesus came, to save you, to save me, to give us the opportunity to be reconciled to God. And in the same way, all children of God who suffer for Jesus' sake, it's not wasted. We may not see. We may not see the purpose. But God is working his sovereign plan for his glory. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, not as someone who doesn't follow Jesus, not as someone who's not standing for Jesus, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while still doing good. There's purpose in our suffering. I can't help but think that Stephen, the great deacon in the early church, a godly man, as he was being stoned to death by religious leaders, I can't help but think that he had no idea what the result of his death would be. The spread of the church all over the world. I believe God used the stoning of Stephen to touch a violent, wicked, evil man, young man, by the name of Saul, and turned him into a great evangelist, church planter, and missionary. There was purpose. God had his purpose. For the death of Stephen, he has purpose for all of his children who experience persecution today. And so as we think about persecution around the world and our focus falls on China, we come to that looking at persecution from the biblical perspective as to what Jesus says. It's real. It's to be expected. It's part of our calling. There's a cost. There's a blessed fellowship in suffering. And there's purpose in it. So as we focus on China and shift our thoughts to China for just a moment, I'll just remind you what you've already heard. That China today, 1,400,000,000 people. That's a billion. That's a lot. And then you add the population of the United States and Canada and others. 
It's a lot of people. By the grace of God, 60 to 100 million people in China call themselves Christians. And that's a great growth because from 1949, when China changed and became, had the People's Republic of China, modern China, some people call communist China, but the People's Republic of China, 71 years ago, there may have been possibly one million Christians in China. And there's some in this room, if I understand correctly, whose parents were part of those one million. Today, possibly 60 to 100 million. What a great work of God in these 71 years. And the first 30 of those years was under severe persecution. But let's never forget the flip side. So many believers in China today, so many more than in the past, but still 1,300,000,000 who don't know Jesus. We need to pray for them. I thought as we shared about China, I would give us just a brief, very brief overview of the history of China and look at some key dates because China is like 5,000 plus years old. It's been around a long time. And I just want us to look at a few dates here beginning in 635 to, to show that Christianity, the, the, the gospel has not always been present in China with people in, in China hearing the gospel. In 635, the Nestorian Christians arrived in China with their brand of Christianity. The Catholics followed, and in 1320, there were Catholics who, who died because they claimed to be Christians. In 1807, though, 200 years ago, kind of bring it up a little bit closer to the present, 1807, Robert Morrison was the first Protestant missionary to arrive in southern China in Canton in Guangzhou, and with him, the translation of the Bible in to Chinese would take place with the help of Chinese brothers and sisters at great risk. Those of you who worship in Chinese have friends or others who worship in Chinese and, and you have the Chinese Bibles and now various translations, we, we need to go back and thank those that went before us and did the hard work of translating the Word of God and who died for that. In 1847, we have China's first Protestant martyr. Okay, we're talking about people dying for Jesus. You know, it's been over 100, what, 160, 170 plus years ago, the first Protestant martyr. And in 1900, there was the Boxer Rebellion when over 40,000 Christians were killed. Most of those, of course, local Chinese believers. Included in that number were some 200 plus missionaries. And then from 1927 to 19. 37, we had the communist insurgency. It's been referred to as by some. There's kind of like civil war going on in China. The controlling group was being opposed by this new communist group, and there was a lot of chaos going on in China from those years of 27 to 49, for that matter, but specifically 27 to 37. And it's in that period of time, from that period of time, the mid-30s, I want to share a story of a couple I never met, but uh, who still touched me to this day. It's the story of John and Betty Stamm, and we can look at their picture there. John and Betty Stamm were young American missionaries with the China Inland Mission. They served in Anhui province. John was saved at the age of 15, a young man. His wife also saved at a young age, and she actually grew up in China, the daughter of missionaries in China. Well, later they met, they were married, and 
They wanted to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people of China. So they went. It was all in the middle of this Chinese civil war going on. The Japanese were having their invasions too, and it it was crazy and chaotic. They'd been married just a year. When we get to December of 1934, just married one year, a little over a year, a couple years. He was 27. Anybody in here 27? She was 28. Had one little girl, Helen. And there in that little town in Anhui province, things changed very quickly without warning. The Red Army, I'll call them the soldier bandits because it's not some disciplined group of people, but they come to take money. They come to pillage. They come to kill. They entered the town where they were. They took John and and Betty and their little baby, and they demanded $20,000 ransom from their organization. Of course, that was a huge amount of money in that day, and there was no way they could get it. There's no way they they could get that amount of money. For a couple of days or so, they were held in prison, treated poorly. On one occasion, little, little baby Helen, she cried because there were gunshots. You know, there were rifles and sh- guns being shot around. And she cried, and they said, let's kill that little baby. The, the soldier bandits said that. But there was, a, there was a Chinese man there, and evidently he had just been let out of prison himself on other charges. And he said, don't kill the little baby. Why should she have to die? And the soldier bandits said, okay, And then they hacked him to death instead. They killed him. It was this kind of environment. It's hard for us, if we've not gone through it, to to understand how can this be? Well, finally, they they led uh, John and Betty outside to another town where they would meet their execution. And uh, it was December. It's cold. John had no, no socks. He walked barefooted. They were stripped down he and his wife, to their underwear, their inner garments. He had given his wife his socks. And on the way, there was a Chinese man who was a Christian. His name was was Brother John. And he said, don't kill them. Don't kill this couple. What? Have they done? It's wrong. And of course, the soldier bandit said, who are you? And they went and they did some investigation. They went and found out, went to his, where he lived and found out that he was a Christian too, called a lukewarm Christian. Not the committed one, but the lukewarm Christian. And he stood up and said, don't kill them. And they said, no, we're going to kill them. And we're going to kill you too. So they all went to their execution. The story goes that John and Betty, they kneeled down. He kneeled down first, and then his head was removed from his body with a sword. And the same happened to Betty right after that. They died together. And the same thing happened to the man. Not a lot of fanfare, not a lot, nobody with their phones. There were no iPhones to video this. But the people saw it. The people of that town saw it because they were forced to come out and watch this shameful walk to execution. Made me think, maybe it was similar to the road that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ took as he walked to his execution carrying the cross. 
Days later, they would have a funeral for the Stams. And word got out um, in the community. And, and a Chinese evangelist who, who knew, of the, knew them, he, he came to lead the funeral. And unbelievably, a lot of the people in the town came out, even that that was a, a kind of a risk. And during the, the service, he said something like this to the people. He said, you saw how they were killed for following Jesus. He said, but don't weep for them. Don't cry for them. They're okay. They're not harmed. They're in the presence of their heavenly father. And he reminded them to don't forget. They came here in the first place for you. They came to tell you the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and that by repenting and putting your faith in him, you can be saved forever. And it's reported that the evangelist didn't just told us that repent and believe right now. I can't help but think that the growth that we've seen in the church of China, in China today, up to today, had some of its roots in the blood of John and Betty Stamm, along with many, many other whose, others whose stories we don't know and are not shared. They were willing to live for Jesus no matter the cost. John had written before his death, of course, the faithfulness of God is the only certain thing in the world today. I think we could say that right now. The faithfulness of God is the only certain thing in the world today. So we don't need to fear the result of trusting him. Betty had written 10 years before she died. She was 18 years old, getting ready to enter college at that kind of age. She wrote these words. She said, Lord, I give up my own plans and purpose, purposes, all of them. I give them up. She said, I give up all my own desires and hopes, and I accept your will for my life. I give myself, my life, everything I have to be yours for, forever. Fill me and seal me with your Holy Spirit. Use me as you will. Send me. Send me where you will. And work out your whole purpose in my life at any cost, now and forever. And she did pay the ultimate price 10 years later. They represent so many who've gone before us. They represent so many Chinese brothers and sisters who have a same story. By the way, little baby Helen, their baby, it's a whole other story. I'm not going to be able to share it. You can Google it. You can read about it. It's amazing. By the grace of God, she was preserved. She was saved through that, all, that whole ordeal. And she eventually made it back to where, uh, to the United States, where the last I heard she was living unless she passed away. That period in the church history in China, I share it because that's the roots for a lot of what we're seeing now. 
some other dates, 1949, I've already mentioned it, when China became the People's Republic of China. And in 1952, not all that long ago, missionaries who formerly were in China, they were kicked out. And also, thousands of church leaders were imprisoned in the early mid-50s, 52 to 58. And I'm going to share a story as we end here in just a moment about one of those Pastor Alan Yuen, and the church goes underground. You've heard of the underground church around the world. Well, in China, in our recent history, we can, we can remember that the underground church movement began in the 50s with a change of government. And in 1979, government-controlled churches were reopened. Church buildings, you know, people could meet in buildings like this. That happened in 79. In 83, there would be persecution of house churches throughout the country, crackdowns in various times, 2001, and from, basically from 2000 to the present, there's been various persecutions in, in different places, intensified in more places and not as severe in others, and surveillance the last few years. My wife and I lived in China from 1991 for 18 years. So we lived through a lot of that period where things were just beginning to open up just beginning to open up. But I thank God for sending us there when he did because we could see then in that China a lot of the roots, the fear, the suspicion, the distrust, what the believers went through. During our time in China, the persecution of Christians did not usually result in death. But it did result in being put in prison or being detained it's not uncommon to be fined large amounts of money, to be beaten, harassed, threatened, and oftentimes certain what you would call rights and opportunities taken away because you're a follower of Jesus. And as we've heard already, there was and is still added pressure to life if you stand up for Jesus, if you verbally proclaim that you know Jesus. We thank God that during our time there, Bibles, hard copies, because when we, we went, there was no internet available in China. People didn't have cell phones like they do today. A copy, a hard copy of the Word of God was precious. And we heard when we got there of stories in years before us of men and women in various house churches who had memorized books of the Bible because they didn't have a written copy. So if we wanted to turn to Matthew 28, we'd talk to our brother here, and he would quote it and tell us. And so what a privilege, what a joy it was to be able to share, to bring the Word of God, hard copies to brothers and sisters. Now, while it's still needed, there's access, even though it can be blocked by the government online. But things have changed so much. The Word of God has gotten into to China. Christian materials are available. Leadership training is being taken, is taking place, not just with people from the outside coming in, but inside networks to train men and women to share the good news of Jesus there in China and around the world. We have stories. I won't share a, a lot of them because of time, but people we knew and worked with 
For example, a professor at a local university. He simply had a few VCDs before the days of DVDs. Does anybody remember? Like discs, and now nobody even knows what they are. That was, that was cutting edge then. You know, that's how you got materials. He had, he had some Christian materials on those in his, in his room, and he was, a, he was a depot. He was willingly... People could come to his home, Christians from all over the city and other places, and get materials so they could grow in faith. They have the Bible and other things. Because he had those in his home, he was taken to jail for like about 100 days. And he said it was not a good experience. He, he survived it. See, that's just kind of the stuff that went on while we were there. Others, home groups, you know, meeting in tiny little rooms. We'd have 20 or 30 people in a little, like a dorm room by 10 by 15 dorm room. And then... Please storm in, take everybody, detain them for a while, threaten them if they continue to do that. The students said, you'll never get out of school. You don't get out of school, you're not going to get a job. The teachers that were in the group, they were told, you continue to do that, you lose your job. And you have to, you're going to have to start reporting to me, the officials said, every so many months. And you're going to have to write, I don't go to this church anymore. I don't, I'm not involved in Christian activities. You write it out. All this kind of stuff going on. Training centers shut down. I'll never forget hearing the, of one with, there were like t- young teenagers, 13, 14-year-olds, up to about 25-year-olds, 100-plus or so, in a little room in a village in the countryside, receiving training, receiving ba- basic biblical teaching later, they were raided by the police. Everybody sent back to their hometowns, put in jail until their families or friends or anybody, for that matter, paid the local officials a large amount of money. It was, just, it was very difficult. The leaders of these groups were beaten, backs broken, things like that, just for teaching the Word of God, for doing what Pastor Sam does. It's real. And as you heard... There and saw, I'm so glad we, you showed the video, Pastor Sam, about the surveillance in China today. I don't know, did you pick up on that? China is the most surveilled country on the planet. And they are leading, they are leading the world in knowing everything you, knew, you do through artificial intelligence. And this is creating a brand new set of challenges for the followers of Jesus. When we were there, they did not have that capability. Now they do. We pray that it won't be used in the extreme that it could be. There's all kinds of stuff going on now. Things have gotten tighter, I mentioned. It opened up a little bit, you know, from the 80s, 90s, our time we were there. Things were like this, beginning to open up, up more, and then now... They're beginning to close and go the other way. This year, the government began enforcing more laws, like we saw on the video, uh, enforcing heavy fines for just meeting. In other words, like if you met here, you're going to be fined a lot of money. So if it's a lot of money, what's going to happen? You're not going to meet. Those who host those meetings in their homes, same thing. Some church buildings have been destroyed. Others... uh, Crosses removed. That's why I love the cross. I love the symbol of the cross. Never take it down. 
Because that is the symbol of our faith. And the empty tomb is our hope that our Lord is alive and he's risen today. The cross is being taken down. And the government is saying that the church needs to be more and more Chinese, more and more in line with the Communist Party. And so even pastors are having to watch out what they preach. Some pastors are heavily watched. Their, their, their manuscripts have to be looked at before they can speak. Others, are, they're, they're forced to weave different kind of ideology from the party into their sermons. It's not biblical. This is happening even now. And in some places, a few places, there are reports that there are some Christians in poor villages who are being forced to renounce their faith in Jesus and to remove any kind of displays that may be Christian or have some kind of display of a cross or Jesus and put the, instead the picture of Chairman Mao and the picture of the current president of the country in their place. And if they don't, especially the elderly folks, the government will simply cut off the welfare benefits they're supposed to get. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Christmas celebrations that once were allowed are being shut down. The propaganda of the ruling party is being reinforced everywhere, and it basically says if you're not a good citizen following what the laws of our country say, then you're not a good person. And if you're a Christian, we know you're not a good person. It's not always been that way. But that's all that everybody's hearing today. So what should we do when we hear of this persecution from the government? And by the way, there's persecution from within families. It's not just from the government. There's persecution and, and, and pressure from within neighborhoods and in schools. See, it's all intertwined. So what should we do? How should we respond? Number one, examine your own relationship to God. Are you a true follower of Jesus? Do you really know God? And I just want to share that if you don't, there's nothing better than putting your life in the hands of Jesus. Repent and believe. If anybody watching, anybody, anywhere, who can hear my voice, you don't know for sure that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven, die from COVID or from anything else. If you don't know for sure, then I encourage you, I challenge you, repent, acknowledge your sin, turn in faith to Jesus Christ, receive him into your life and let him change you forever and begin believing in him. And as he leads you, be willing to suffer for him. There's nothing greater. But for those of us who already do know Christ, we need to examine our own relationship with God. Are we living according to his will? Are we being faithful to verbally proclaim and to live out our faith in Jesus. But also we want to remember and pray. Remember! Could you remember what Pastor Sam preached last week, those of you that were here? I bet most of you can. I hope you can. But oftentimes we can't remember what we did three days ago. Today we want to be challenged to remember that there are many brothers and sisters, not only in China, but in many different countries all around the world, some who live here now, 
who are being persecuted. And we want to remember to pray for them. That's the biblical teaching. Remember those in prison as though within. Remember those who are mistreated since you're also in the body. If one member suffers, all suffer. We must pray. And Pastor Yuan, Alan Yuan, whose story I'm going to tell just in a moment as we wrap it up, when asked, what can we do? Pastor Alan Yuan was a house church pastor persecuted severely. He became one of our best friends. He was asked many times, how can we help the Church of China? And he said, pray, pray, pray. This man who had been persecuted by a wicked government said, pray for the government leaders, number one. Not that they be, boom, zapped by God and killed. No, he said, pray that they repent and believe in Jesus. And he said, number two, pray. Pray for all the believers in China that they will be faithful when they face persecution. And he said, don't forget to pray, thirdly, for the lost millions and millions who still don't know Jesus all across China. We must pray. We must pray. And we must give and support and advocate those who are suffering. Advocate for them. There's all kinds of needs related to persecution, relocation expenses, crisis funds, safe housing, medical needs, all kinds of medical needs, educational needs, so many needs we can give to support them out of the bounty that God has given us. And finally, what can we do? I would say share the gospel often. Share the gospel often with your family, with your friends, everyone you know, even if there would be strong opposition to do that. And since we're focusing on China today, if you have, happen to have any friends that have come from China, share the gospel with them. It's the greatest thing you can do. So let's remember, let's pray, having examined our hearts, and let's give, and let's share the good news. And as we close, let me share the story briefly of Pastor Alan Yuan. I did not know John and Betty Stam. My wife and I, we did not know the Stams who were murdered for their faith in Christ. We did know Pastor Yuan. This is a story of, of Pastor Yuan and his, his wife. And that was the picture there that you just saw was shortly before he was sent off for 21 years and eight months to a labor camp in Northeast China. He had grown up in China, of course. He was saved as a young man. And is about 20 years old or so. And since that day, he said, I want to serve God no matter what it means. And so he was a missionary over China. He went throughout China when there was freedom to do so. And he shared the gospel in many places. Ultimately, he wound up in Beijing, the capital city. And he had his own little, his own little church, church building called the Gospel Hall. And they would meet there. And they could meet there as often as they wanted because there was freedom in China at that point before 1949. But with the founding of the People's Republic of China, the change of the government, the rules changed. You can no longer meet in your little church there. If you want to worship, the government said, you'll go to a designated place only. And as they worked out how that would, would happen in the 50s, Pastor Yuan said, I cannot do that. I cannot worship in a government-sanctioned church 
controlled in many forms and fashion by the government because Jesus Christ alone is the head of the church. No government. And he stuck to his, his conviction. And the result was 21 years and eight months. He did not know that at the time. He was sent in 1958 to the far northeast of China. Those of you that have been there, you know it's cold. It's as cold as the cold parts of Canada. And he was sent, along with all the others that went to this labor camp, basically to die. But it's just, it's just amazing. For all those years, he survived. And he would tell us, he told my wife and I many times that not one day was he even sick. It was a miracle of God. Poor, poor housing, not adequate clothing for the bitter winter, food, water, not too good, very little, hygiene, not too good, working in the rice fields nine hours a day, no fellowship, no other Christians there, no Bibles, no, no phone. He could look and, and Google and, and, and watch a, a wonderful service. So we'd ask him, how did you do it? How did you make it? And he said, every day, I would encourage myself. He said, I had to encourage myself. I'd go crazy. So I sang two songs constantly over and over for all those years. The first, Psalm 27. Psalm 27. The second song he sang was a hymn, not from Scripture, but based on Scripture, called The Old Rugged Cross. Perhaps you've heard it. Listen as I just read a few of the verses in chapter 27. And, and having known Pastor Yuan, and I could just see him up there. Oh, my. He's chapter 27 of, verse, uh, of Psalms. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Well, the next photo of Pastor Yuan is shortly before his death, one of the last ones with, when my wife and I were able to be with him. He would be released after 21 years and eight months. And in the end of 1979, he would return to Beijing. For 10 years, he was under house arrest. But during that time, people could come to his home. He shared the word of God with them from China, within China, all over China, not just Beijing. And then every year until he died in August of 2005, every day, people met in his humble little home about 10 by 18. A little, it's not there anymore. It's been destroyed in all the modernization. You saw the pictures earlier of China being modernized with huge, tall buildings everywhere where he used to live. It was just down a little humble little alleyway. Three little crosses, red crosses and paper taped to his door. 
front door where you could go in. And you just know when you went in there, there's always a Bible study going on. They were always looking at the Word of God. He shepherded the flock. He taught countless numbers of, of men and women what it means to follow Jesus. He shared the gospel with the lost who were brought there. He distributed materials all over at no, at no fear what they would do to him. And then he had a stroke on Easter Sunday morning, 2005. He lay in a coma for a few months, and then he went to be with the Lord. His wife, his, her story is even more incredible. During all of this, while he's away, his wonderful wife, I always said she looks like an angel. I don't know if we still have her picture or not. I mean, she couldn't have been over four foot ten, maybe. Just full of love. And the same for Pastor Yuan, a little bit taller. Her story is even greater. Taking care of all these kids during that time in China, famine, oh, people dying, horrible. God took care of them too. Pastor Yuan. He always shared how God sustained him by singing the old rugged cross. Let me just read those words, and then we'll close. And many a time in his home, we would sing these words, and they, they do bring tears. Because this man did cling to the old rugged cross. Here's the first verse on a hill far away, the old rugged cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love, I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. And Pastor Yuan, as he would share his testimony with people from all over the world in his own little room, his own little home. He didn't travel all over. Like now, everybody's traveling everywhere. People came to him to hear what God had done. And he would always say very powerfully and strongly, quoting the words of Jesus in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. He was faithful. His wife was faithful. Countless others, our brothers and sisters, have been faithful and are being faithful today. Oh, may God help us to be faithful right here every day. unto death and then we will receive that crown of life God help us let's pray Father help us to be faithful unto death faithful to you the one who is our faithful creator we entrust our souls to you Father once again we come to you on behalf of our brothers and sisters around the world some may be right here in this room who have gone through difficult things may be going through them right now God have mercy Help them to be faithful. Supply all they need. Help them to be strong. Help them, Lord, unbelievably to rejoice and be glad. And help us, Father, never to forget, but to pray, to give support, 
and to honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.